On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll discuss a couple of buy-low hitters and some fab targets. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, April 30th. I'm Al Melchior, and with me here is Derek Van Riper and uh, DVR. Let's start off with some good injury-related news for a change. Seems like we hardly ever do that, but uh, for those of you who have been stashing Luke Voigt for the last four weeks, uh, might not be too much longer that you'll need to stash him. He took live at-bats at the Yankees alternate site on Thursday, and looks like he's on target to come back maybe in about a week. And uh, DVR, I'm judging that based on the report from a week ago where it said he was about two weeks off. So uh, probably not back soon enough to start him for next week, but we're getting close. Some news that certainly uh, looked uh, alarming uh, at first. Hopefully it's not uh, Corbin Burns placed on the injured list, but this is a similar situation to what we had uh, one day earlier with Jordan Alvarez, where there were reports that he was on the IL, but we didn't know which one. Uh, so typically when we have a scenario like this, um, it, it's the COVID IL and, and there's the possibility that Burns or whoever the player in question is could could be back in a day or two. So, And in fact, that is the case with Jordan Alvarez. Um, he could be back as soon as Friday. So uh, we'll keep tabs on that and keep tabs on Corbin Burns's situation. Adam Wainwright also placed, uh, and this we do know for sure, placed on the COVID IL. Uh, this was due to a family member of his testing positive. So more of a precautionary move, um, uh, a more conventional IL move. Uh, Marco Gonzalez being placed on the 10-day injured list by the Mariners with a left forearm strain. Now, DVR, that that just anytime I see those words, forearm strain, it, it sounds scary. Um, but again, this is being posed uh, in the reports I've seen as a cautionary measure, catching it early. But... Uh, if you you've got Marco Gonzalez, is this somebody that you think is worth stashing? If you do have limited spots, I think you could justify dropping him if you have limited or no IL spots. I think the problem I've had with Gonzalez in the past, prior to 2020 especially, was that you weren't always getting a great strikeout rate. So if you're talking like a 10 or a 12 team league, in those formats, I think he's a little bit more droppable in a 15 teamer. Because the innings are there consistently and the ratios are generally solid, even though they've been poor so far, I'd be more inclined to hold them in a deeper league like that where the replacement level on the waiver wire isn't quite as high. Yeah, well, Gonzalez has shown some flashes of the form he showed in the short season uh, this year. Been a little inconsistent, but uh, yeah, especially in those slightly deeper formats, it, it would be hard to replace those things that uh, that he provides. Uh, what this does too is it probably solidifies the rotation spot for LJ Newsom uh, as he's taken over for uh, Nick Marjavicius's, uh spot. And I saw a report on MLB.com that said that Robert Duggar is likely to be called up to fill Gonzalez's uh, spot. Again, that could could be a short-term thing. But uh, are you interested at all in Newsom? And I'll just mention that LJ Newsom uh, on my phone autocorrects to OK Newsom. But in the bullpen, he's been, he's been better than OK. Yeah, I, I think with Newsom, the command is great. That's, that's been in the scouting reports. It's been borne out by some of the command metrics that our friend Eno Saris has access to as well. I think the question is really stuff and how effective he'd be 
going through the lineup a third time if he was used like a, a regular starter at the big league level. But you go back and, and look at some of the, the stops along the way. I mean, really good numbers at high A in 2019. A nice run of nine starts at double A that followed that. Um, almost skipped triple A entirely. Only made one start there in 2019 with the rabbit ball. So you can't really read anything into that. And I would look at Newsom as maybe more of a, a deep league sort of starter. A guy that at least based on the quality of matchups, you're thinking about playing because he could get in there and go five plus on a regular basis while filling in. The Angels are a matchup, however, that I would take more of a wait and see approach. I think that lineup scares me just enough to hold off on Newsom, at least for the weekend, if you're in a league with daily moves. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough matchup. But uh, yeah, I'm in an innings pitched league this year. That's the the Tout Wars League, actually, that I'm in. And so, yeah, somebody like Newsom, who works efficiently uh, with good command, uh, he does have a little extra a uh, little extra appeal in a league like that. Um, Nate Pearson, uh, we've been waiting for his activation. That occurred on Thursday, coming back from his groin injury. However, the Blue Jays sent him to the alternate site. So going to get a little work in before we see him back in the major leagues. Matt Olson, he was scratched from the A's game on Thursday against the Rays. Uh, during batting practice, he ricocheted a ball off of his eye. So uh, I've not seen any reports yet in terms of the seriousness of this. Uh, so for now, it, it sounds like a, a day-to-day situation, but one that obviously bears watching. And uh, so that obviously brings to mind Bryce Harper, who uh, didn't ricochet a ball, but had a, a pitch uh, g- uh, that hit him in the eye. And uh, so he went through the concussion protocol. He will be evaluated on Friday. So that's obviously one to watch uh, for the week coming ahead. And uh, yeah, Harper, that was kind of a late update on our Thursday show. And so was Ryan Weathers, who left his start very early. And so we have an update on that as well. That Jace Tingler uh, says that Weathers has joint inflammation. So that is, of course, the elbow joint. Um, this coming from a report from, well, I mean, you know, could be his knee, right? No, yeah, it's just so funny. It's like, why didn't he just say elbow inflammation? It's a very, it was a very convoluted explanation in this report from uh, Kevin Acey uh, from the San Diego Union Tribune, um, convoluted from Jace Tingler because he said something. It's, it's like it's not in the middle of the elbow, it's in the back of the elbow. So, I, strange explanation, but I think he was basically trying to say not as serious as it could be. Uh, but <laughs> again, with all these other things, we'll have to just uh, see the uh, the updates as they come. And same thing with Matthew Boyd. This is late breaking for us as we're recording this. He left his start in the second game of that Tigers doubleheader with the White Sox with uh, an apparent injury, but we do not know what injury, uh, much less the seriousness of it. So we'll keep tabs on that over the weekend as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So DVR, let's take a look at the Thursday standouts. I want to start with a couple of hitters who have, at least on the surface, started off slower than we had hoped and expected. But really, underlying the surface stats, they've they've been pretty good. They've been, they should be as good as we were hoping they would. And I'm talking about Trey Mancini and Alec Bohm. Both had multi-hit games on Thursday with Mancini. He went three for four against the Yankees, including his fifth home run. 
Bohm went two for five, just a couple of singles, but you know we'll we'll take that. That raises his batting average up to two sixteen. Uh, that against the Cardinals, but in Bohm's case, that two sixteen batting average translates to a two seventy nine xba. His meager three eighteen slugging is actually a four seventy slugging in the uh, x slugging metric. So, and certainly if you look at the peripherals, I mean, you should never take these X stats um, at face value, but if you look at the peripherals, Alcbaum's doing a lot of good things and, and so is Trey Mancini. So it would seem like right now is the time to try to get these two before maybe uh, the stats catch up with the expected stats. Yeah, and Bohm in particular is the kind of guy that I think if you are looking to the future in a keeper or a dynasty league, he might be the centerpiece of a trade if you're flipping some pieces you don't necessarily want to keep to a contending team. I think the question I have with Bohm is how real is the home run power? Because if you go back and look at his minor league track record, it really took until he reached double A before we saw the power show up in games at a level that is befitting a corner infielder. We saw a little bit of it at high A, but it was double A in 2019 where he really took off with 14 homers in 63 games. And I think with the Phillies, it's double-A Redding, which is yep. one of those parks that really boosts up home runs quite a bit. So I think it's fair to be somewhat skeptical of the power ceiling based on the track record, but I think it creates a buying opportunity. If you're a believer in his approach, you think the raw power is there and is going to show up in games going forward, this could be a relative low point in his long-term value that you want to take advantage of. Yeah, I really agree with that. Uh, so. See what you can uh, work up. I, yeah, I like that idea too in a dynasty uh, situation. Uh, maybe really get some value there. Uh, a lot of good pitching performances. Uh, you know, you and I, uh, DVR, on the Thursday show, we talked about um, some potential streamers. Uh, and really, who, whoever you picked probably worked out because there were a lot of really good pitching performances. Now, you probably weren't streaming Carlos Rodon because he's been so good that uh, you can't just pick him up. But another great start. Granted, this one against the Tigers. Six innings, one run on two hits and a walk. Twelve big strikeouts for Rodon. Uh, I'm not really sure what more there is to say here because, like I said, you probably can't pick him up at this point. But uh, I guess the only question is if if you should sell high. And I've got him in one league, and I'm not even planning on doing that. Now, I think the play, the optimal play, if you drafted Rodon or you picked him up early in the season, you're not going to get as much trading him as you will get trading somebody else on your roster that you paid more for who's performed reasonably well to this point. Because it always takes longer than it should for in-season performance to be fully reflected in trade valuation. And I think with Rodon's injury history as well, that's going to temper the type of return you get back. So if you picked him up and you've got enough pitching, and he's part of the reason why you have a little depth, I would actually consider trading someone else who's a little more established in terms of a healthier track record, because I think you're going to get a better return back from the other manager that you're dealing with. Yeah. That's a, that's a good uh, good tactic. Also, we saw the major league debut of Shane McClanahan and DVR. We we saw both the good here and the thing that I think you and I and a lot of people have worried about with any kind of race prospect coming up, which is he only went four innings, didn't throw a lot of pitches, but the four innings were really good. Two runs on five hits, no walks, and five strikeouts. Fifteen swinging strikes out of just fifty nine pitches. That's a phenomenal ratio. And this is against an Oakland team that really doesn't swing and miss very much. But you saw Luis Patino come in, toss a couple of innings. Um, so I certainly have a lot of skepticism about what kind of role really both McClanahan and Patino will have going forward. 
just in terms of the stuff that McClanahan was throwing. He was touching 101 with his fastball and getting movement to the arm side. He was throwing a slider at 92-93. He's got a split change he was mixing in. The curveball's not bad, and the command looked pretty good overall. So I I think it's really difficult to imagine a scenario where the Rays don't feel like he's good enough to be a part of their staff more often than not the rest of the season. But I just think the way they're going to manage him could be a little bit frustrating for a player as talented as he is. Yeah. For sure. Uh, well, let's look ahead to Friday. Um, and just real quick, going to throw out some potential streamers here and let me know who who you like. We got Chris Flexen, who's really still very widely available, pitching against the Andrews and Andrew Heaney. Um, I talked uh, recently about Eric Fetty and his profile of not getting a lot of swings and misses or, or freezes, but getting a lot of foul balls. So Chris Flexen kind of using the same recipe there. JT Brubaker goes up against the Cardinals and John Gant. Wade Miley gets the Cubs and Jake Arrieta. Brady Singer at Minnesota. Michael Pineda pitching for them. And uh, no hitter or no no hitter. Madison Bar- Bumgarner, either way, he gets the coveted Rockies on the on the road for them uh, matchup and John Gray. I'd be really careful with this entire group if you said, well, you have to pick one. Uh, JT Brubaker against the Cardinals would be the one that I feel best about given those matchups. And uh, maybe Bumgarner's a close second, but some days you don't have to stream and Friday might be one of them. All right. Well, let's go to our weekly fab preview. A couple of interesting two-start possibilities this week. Nick Pavetta, who just came off of that really great start against the Mets. He's got the the teams as of right now who have the lowest uh, Wobas in the majors, the Tigers and the Orioles. That would be his two-step. Uh, we got Jake Junis with a much tougher set of matchups. Uh, Cleveland, who's actually, uh, their Woba's very low, but they've been one of the best power-hitting teams in the majors. And then you get the White Sox. Um, and again, sort of depends on what lineup they roll out on, on any given day. But uh, Pavetta, Junis, do you have a preference? I think Junis is safer. Uh, I think Pavetta could be next week's Austin Gomber. And Austin Gomber was the previous week's Joe Ross. I mean, there's certainly a bumpy track record there. So, it comes down to your risk tolerance with great matchup versus shaky skills with Pavetta. And I'm a risk taker, so I might be dumb enough to walk into another one and make another mistake. Uh, but I, I think the matchups are good enough in this case where if I'm chasing innings already because I've either had injuries or my ratios are already dinged up, I'm more inclined to take a cheap flyer on Pavetta where available in those circumstances. All right, and just two more uh, pitchers here, two pitchers to consider. Of course, McClanahan we talked about. I'm just not sure I want to pay the price it's likely to take. I might put in a modest bid for him. And uh, Josh Stamont um, appears to be the, the sole closer for the Royals. I've got a dilemma because I actually like the skill set um, that uh, Barlow has there. But, um, you know, Stamont's got the job. So, again, I might go a little bit modest on that bid. Yeah, I mean, I think Stamont's the better pitcher if everything's working for him. He's got top-shelf reliever stuff. Like, there's never been a doubt about that. It's the control that's the big issue. But I think this is something that Greg Jewett called out in his coffee and closers piece on The Athletic. I mean, they took a little while before they locked in on Trevor Rosenthal last year, and the same thing appears to be happening with Stalmont right now. So, you know, like you, I, I thought Barlow was pretty interesting coming into the season. He was my favorite to hold on the, hold on to the job the longest of their options. But at this point, I think I got to change my tune. I think Stalmont's showing enough to where he's kind of separating himself from that pack of relievers in Kansas City. 
All right. Well, lots to think about going into this weekend, uh, but that's going to wrap up this episode and this week of Fantasy Baseball in 15. And as always, uh, we hope that you will rate and review the show uh, when you go onto whatever platform you get your podcasts on. And uh, on that note, uh, for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Monday.